We were fat teens back when plus-sized meant anything above a size 12. Life was brutal. A bloodbath. Today, we look different, but still see the world through the lens of our fat girl experience. Because once you go fat, you never go back. This is Full Fat. How you doing? I'm Sam Luck, joined by the lovely Natalie Roach, and we are full fat. Hey, Nat. The podcast where we don't sit nervously by the pool of conversation. No, we friggin' belly flop right in. And in the spirit of that, we're going to dive bomb into our first episode where we're going to tell you how we met, a bit about ourselves, our backstories, and why we're here, basically. Yeah. So what we hope to bring to you, our dear listeners, and in terms of how we met, what what is me and Sam's Marvel origin story? Um, I am going to take us back to the year 2010. That was when I moved to Canada. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as you can tell, Sam is not from Canada. Boom. So we met in the basement room of an eating disorder recovery program. Straight up. Don't you wish sometimes that it was not like it was a cooler program, like we were in like Cocaine Anonymous or something? (laughs) I wish we were like in Nexium. Oh my God. Like I wish that we, I wish that you and I had met as potential sex slaves in Nexium, that we had been branded. And then you and I just kind of shared a glance across the kitchen and we're like, fuck this bitch. Like, let's get out of here and just carry on our merry way. And I would say, I don't know, Sam, I would say that ours was one of a slow burn. I will say that I was kind of the first person Sam approached to be her kind of guide as someone who, like, I'd been around at that point a year longer, but the way that I spoke, you would have thought I'd been around for 15 years. You were an old timer. I was an old timer. And <laughs> Sam is being, that is Sam's polite way of saying I was pretentious as fuck. No, I- yeah, it wasn't too bad. So we met, we would talk on the phone, but it kind of felt like, I don't know, Sam, would you say, it felt like almost a professional relationship, like I'm guiding you and how to recover. Oh yeah, 100%. I was terrified of you. I'm scary. I am scary. I only do slow burns. Like if someone wants to be friends with me in five minutes, I run for the hills. I'm like, don't try and create something that takes 10 years to make in five seconds. I'm not a fast friender. I always, you know, I, so it was it was actually appealing to me that you were a cold-hearted snake oh yeah 100 (laughs) percent. and i agree with you it's like this isn't la Mm -mm. we're not going to be friends right away this is winterfell honey (laughs) like it's going to take you a solid (laughs) 10 years (laughs) to to become friends with me oh my god slowly the the iciness of my heart started to melt sam was always bringing that warm australian vibe and then i as i remember it we'd been kind of like loosely in touch for maybe like six-ish years at that point like and then I remember there was one day that I was in the bay you called me and for the first time I just decided to say my relationship's in the shitter Sam like I'm really struggling because normally when you would call how would you say that it went it was more um everything's great so it was a bit of a it was a bit of a shock you were so solid I remember I cried I was perusing through the aisles and I cried and Tears are like the gateway to any friendship. And I just remember calling you, I think, a week later saying, yeah, like, this is the update and blah, blah, blah. And you were so dope. And I'm like, you know that scene in Aladdin where he goes into the cave of treasures or whatever? He goes into that like line. I'm ashamed of myself. So when Aladdin goes into the cave of wonders and he's like, it just 
it's like this has been here this whole time in the desert that's how i felt when i was talking to you i was a diamond in the diamond in the raw bring me the lamp oh riffraff street red i don't that is staying in don't mark it but yeah, that was that is how we met, and then it just—I think at a certain point, one or both of us just said, "So we're we're not like connected through the recovery program. Like we're friends." I think I needed to solidify that because mm-hmm. at that point, I'd also like let you into my wild and rampant vulnerability and inner insecurity, and I was like, "So we're friends, right?" Yeah, and I also was like, "I don't want to—I don't want you to come at me feeling like I need to be in a certain place either. Like, oh, I need to be." on point in my recovery in order to engage with Nat or if and I was like no like I want you to call me no matter what like if we go out to the movies together I don't want like eat all the glossettes I don't give a mm-hmm. fuck I would never eat glossettes waxy chocolate you are bougie as fuck you're like hit me with the nadege oh yeah <laughs> so yeah so that's kind of a bit about our backstory and full fat I guess is our little baby like we both grew up heavy Mm -hmm. um we were chonks and we were kind of ashamed of that it was something we wanted to hide in our past and we wanted to like be the butterfly you know and not really refer back to that part of our past but as we've gotten older it's become something that we're really proud of and we see as having really shaped us into the women that we are today so full fat isn't about fat it's not about weight it's about a way of living it's like grabbing your past grabbing your shame grabbing those things you wanted to hide and really just being like here it is i actually think that for both of us it was the crucible in which our uh incredible and unstoppable personalities were forged and i believe the same for basically all women all women who have been fat or who have felt fat or who have had moments of that and i think so many people can relate to that it's not just you need to have a certain kind of story. I think we've all had our fat moments at one time or another. And for those who haven't, sit down, listen, and learn. I love that. So I think now I'd love to just hear about your story, which I've heard, but I never get sick of hearing it. So I'd love you to tell us a bit about your backstory, about your fat story. I would be happy to do that Um, because when we get our portraits up on the website, and let me just tell you, they are going to rival Beyonce's release of when she was pregnant with the twins. It's going to be that level of... We're talking veils. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you will see from those photos um, when you visit thisisfullfat.com. Mm-hmm. I am in what would be called a thin body, but uh, I fully qualify for co-hosting of the Full Fat Podcast because that was not always the case, uh, dear listeners. Like food just always had such a charge for me. Like food was always the best part. It was always the best part. So birthday parties, I can like remember the colors of the frosting on this clown cake that my mom made me. And I was legit turning four. That was my fourth birthday party. And I'm like, look at this friggin' Pennywise meets Candyland cake. I am so excited right now. And I just remember that. Like I always just remember food being the best part. And Oh my god, I remember it. This is this is like so this is embarrassing, but whatever. This is this is content. This is for the listeners. My life has been lived for content, everyone. <laughs> I remember like when I was in grade three, I used to say to the teacher, I need to go to the bathroom. 
and go from the third floor. And if you know, an elementary school is fairly large. When you're on the third floor, and I would go down to the basement. The bathroom was on the third floor, y'all. So this, this teacher must have always thought that I had severe gastrointestinal GI. And I would go down to the basement where the cubbies were, and I would steal desserts out of other kids' lunches. <laughs> Oh my god, yes. The lunchbox thief. Oh, I have my own lunchbox thief story as well. We got this call from this um, mother of a child who basically told my parents that I had been like coercing her to give me her cutlet sandwiches. She was Italian. She used to have these crumbed pork sandwiches. And my- what do you expect? Exactly. They were asking for it. And uh, my mom used to make me Vegemite and celery, which Get out of here. is not what Australians eat. It's totally crazy. And uh, this girl was like not ever hungry at lunchtime. So she would like pack it up. Turns out her mom wanted her to keep it for after school care. But I was like, hey, waste not, want not. And I was like, are you going to eat that every lunch? And she'd be like, no. And she just didn't, I guess, I don't know, have the wherewithal. This is how I remember it to kind of say to me, like, actually, my mum wants me to keep that for after school care. So I was like, great. And I would like hoe in and eat her sandwich. So it turned into this phone call and my parents got off the phone and like sat me down and it was the same thing. Stolen lunches. Honestly, you know what came to mind when you were telling me that? I was like, survival of the fittest. I got your food and you were too weak to tell me about it. Looks like only one of us deserved this sandwich. It's a life lesson right there. Only the strong survive. (laughs) Um, So yeah, just like my my childhood is rife with with things like that. Like just really like, you know, I remember doing stuff like coming home and making myself an entire mixing bowl. And some people say mixing bowls like, oh my God, I had a mixing bowl. And I'm like, no, I don't mean the mixing bowl that you would like crack the eggs and put them into and put it aside. I mean like a mixing bowl, like you would you would make a Caesar salad for 15 people in. Like a mixing bowl <laughs> like that. Like I'd make a mixing bowl like that full of popcorn every mm. single day after school. But I knew that I had to hide it from my parents. So that was also part of my- Popcorn is healthy food. What are you talking about? Popcorn is healthy food. Yes, I put a quarter cup of butter on it. And I knew that I had to hide it. Like, that was so part of my story, too, that I'm eating this way, but I also have to hide it because I know that it's not normal. I know the way that I want to eat, I need to hide. And there's always so much shame about that. Did you have that, too, where people will, like, catch you hiding food? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, I still do it to my partner today. Like, I can eat food and he doesn't even know I'm eating it. And I'm, like, sneaking something before he's having it. Like, I'm... A master of disguise. Yeah, like a food cat burglar is basically what we both were. <laughs> food cat burglar. And, and then the thing is, is that as you get older from, or as I got older, I just found that like the weight became for me something that was like the, my, my, the entire focus of my being. It was like, honestly, my weight beat like inside me was like fucking Magneto and my weight was metal. Just like it was all, everything was just about my weight, my weight. And I would just like put music on and fantasize about being thin and life is going to be so amazing. It's going to be a nonstop music video shoot. And I'm going to constantly have a wind machine on me. It just became my obsession. And, you know, I was about 300 pounds in high school. And I remember I used to work at this plus size women's clothing store called Additionnel. And it was one of the only places where I felt like free. I remember I just, every every other place in my life, I would just kind of walk through the world with so much tension. Because when you're in a fat body, like there are so many threats in the environment. There's so many threats. Mm. Like, and especially for me in high school, I'm like, let me tell you what strikes the fear of fucking God into your heart. When you are a 300 pound teenage girl in the era when we grew up, because now there's a lot more body positivity stuff, 
yes future episode but like i would see a car full of teenage boys driving towards me down the street nightmare nightmare and i was cool like i was a cool kid in high school i was popular but i'm like these guys don't necessarily know me they're not from my high school and i will get made fun of someone is yelling something out this window so like there's you know what i mean did you have stuff like that happen oh my god yes i mean australia is a surf culture so there's this obligatory physical kind of identity that's how i felt all the posters were like girls in like thongs on the beach and there was almost like this energy of like honestly like hatred for you not conforming to that body type and yeah you're damn right like I'd walk down the street and it was like waiting for someone to yell something out it didn't happen every time but it certainly happened enough times that I was on guard like Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. when you're fat there's such a sense of there's hyper vigilance like I just remember Mm. being hyper vigilant and like all that tension like let's be real I used to unleash into the Caesar salad for 15 people bowl size of popcorn mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember when I worked in that plus size women's clothing store it's one of the only times like oh like I'm one of the girls like we're all dress size 24 there was such competition between like well I'm a dress size 24 or like an I wear a 3x but like so-and-so wears a 4x like oh my god that's so funny 100% like our manager's name was Tammy and Tammy was a solid size 14. I'm just going to put her at a dress size 14. I was pushing out of a dress size 24. And for folks who don't know, that's like a triple X. And Tammy, Tammy walked around like she had a nine foot fucking feather in her cap about like, (laughs) I, she's like, Tammy walked around like I can limbo under a closed door, bitch. Like I'm tiny. I'm a tiny little bird. If I could have been a size 14 with an ass and stayed that, that would be my goal. Like 14, even a 16. No, I do. I do know what you mean. And I think that for me, I had my pick of like the first, like the clothes when they first came out and that would help because I could cobble together something that would make me look like the cool girls instead of like you know, you could get a plain white t-shirt instead of a t-shirt that had fucking puff paint of a goddamn kitten playing with a ball of yarn. I'm like, nobody wants this Northern Reflections bullshit. I honestly think that if you are above a size 12, they assume that you've just lost all, like, all sense of self-dignity and that you want to dress like some kind of demented kindergarten teacher. We didn't even have any plus size clothing, which we'll talk about later in another another chat. But like, yeah, we didn't have any of that stuff. Like, it was like either dress like your grandmother or make do. Like I had to make my own stuff. Oh, my God. I would design clothes and then I had my, one of my mum's friends was a good sewer, so she used to help me. And then skinny bitches would come along and they'd be like, oh, my God, I love your skirt. Can you make me one? And I was like, "Uh, no, bitch. Like snowflakes chance in hell, honey. Just walk into any establishment and purchase one for yourself. Like, yeah, my weight got to be about 300 pounds. And then I lost 100 or so by seeing a psychotherapist after my mom watched an episode of Oprah and was like, honey, I want you to come see this. And then she sent me to a therapist. God bless her. Like she was always trying Richard Simmons tapes, the carbohydrate addicts diet, sent me to Weight Watchers as like a little nine-year-old and all like, no, 12. I was 12. Don't worry, everyone. I was double digits. Don't like call child protective services. But that was just like the kind of like the entire focus of my life. And I remember I like I lost the weight, but it's, it never wasn't it wasn't an obsession. And then at a certain point, like what sent me into the eating disorder recovery program was 
I don't know. Like, I know there's like, there's going to be haters about what I'm about to say, but uh, to me, it was super toxic what I was doing with food. Like it wasn't, it wasn't normal eating. And I know that like, like quote unquote, what is normal? Y'all like I was pulling food out of the garbage. Like that's, that's not normal. Like if I didn't want to finish it, like I had to put dish soap on it. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's, it wasn't a good look. So yeah, I just, I don't know. I decided to try out this eating disorder recovery program and that was like, 10 years ago now. And I think that for a long time in my life, I lost a lot of weight. Like I'm, I'm a, like I said, I'm in a thin body. And for years and years, maybe up until three years ago, I would say that my self-esteem was based on the fact that I'm thin. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thin, so that's great. But this doesn't mean that I wasn't insecure or sad or, you know, all those kinds of things at times. But I just so much of my identity was like tied into being thin. And then I think I just started interrogating that like three years ago. Like, what the fuck? Like, you don't do toxic things with food anymore. And that's dope. Like, you're not hurting yourself with like the way that you're eating. At the same time, you were dope when you're fat. Mm. Like, that was the size of your body. And like, the the world made it a toxic fucking place for you to be in. And I just started looking at that critically and I'm like baby body positivity, anti-fat shaming. I mean, don't don't come to this podcast if you're looking for an academic take, folks, mm-hmm, or that's mm-hmm. a hardcore activist take. Like w- those people will probably be rightfully dragging us. But that's I don't know. I think that's that's kind of what brought me to here. That's kind of what brought me to here in terms of like, yes, that was my past and I embrace it. I love my past now. And that's, um, I'm sticking to it. Like, did people not recognize you? Yeah. One person didn't recognize me. And interestingly, it was actually a family member. Awkward. Like, I had to say to him, I'm like, Natalie, like, your cousin. And he was like, oh, my God. Like, I got that all the time. I would say that for at least five years when I ran into someone who knew me from before, it was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You look amazing. And- yeah. You want a decent oh my God, but you don't want it to be too much oh my God. Yes. Like it's a fine line, people. Work on your oh my gods. Can we just say that? Work on your oh my gods and work on your like, I'm just going to comment openly on your body and just, you know what I mean? It, and I didn't question it at all. I love it. Oh, it's, I just am used to it being open for conversation. You know what I mean? Like as a large person, your body is just fair game. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Sam, what about you? Okay. So a few things that characterize my backstory, my fat story. Um, I was a highly sensitive kid. I was kind of an emotional sponge. And the way that looked was like, if I walked into a room where there was like tension, or if I felt that someone around me was anxious, I just soaked it all up. And it wasn't like I would just be like in tears and, you know, like I could function. But you felt it. And I couldn't turn it on and off. Like I had no control over it. So it was like just a real influx of vibes all the time. And that wasn't just bad stuff. It was good stuff too. Like I would not want to have me come to my house for a sleepover in a million years. Like I was the kid that was like screaming at two in the morning, squealing, was so excited, was like, can we get some cake? You know, like. like, get her a shot of whiskey. (laughs) I don't care that she's eight. Basically. You know, the other part of it is like I've always been pretty creative and a lot of that came out with food in the beginning. So like at a young age, I uh, knew how to cook 
pretty complicated stuff because my mum brought us up on the Pritikin diet, which was kind of based around like, you know, all the healthy stuff like fruits, vegetables, grains, you know, no fun snacks. So my sister and I were like jonesing all the time for sugar and we had to get super creative. So we would make like cups of frosting when my mum went down the street. Like That is so industrious. Right? And then I realized that on the sides of the packets of things, there were recipes. So I started at like, honestly, age six, I started to teach myself how to make really intense stuff. So I remember my mum would say something like, you know, I'm going to the bank and I would question her a little bit to find out how long she would be going for. And as she told me, I would just be like running through like my like mental Rolodex of recipes and figuring out what I could make, what I could clean up and what I could have stashed under my bed in a Tupperware container by the time she got back. Okay, see, that is actually brilliant. I mean, that's do you th- do you realize the amount of skill you have to have? I mean, you were you were a genuine cat burglar. So that was kind of part of my creativity when I was young. I also ran my own faux TV show called Cooking Australia from like our kitchen and our garden. And I would like invite my family members on as guests. And they said that I was so authentic that they would get nervous coming onto my show. <laughs> How old were you? I think I was like nine, nine or ten, and it went on for years. Like you know, and I would be like, "Hi, welcome to Cooking Australia. Today, I'm going to teach you how to make a simple snack out of just a few ingredients that you could find in any pantry." And then I would like get the camera, be like, "Come with me," and I'd walk backwards with the camera following me. It was a very complicated multi-camera affair. Wow, that's like Martha Stewart shit. It was. It really was. And then another thing that I think is important is like my mum, and here's where it gets a little bit dark, but not really. My mum did some crazy ass shit, like like to try and control my weight. Just to give you some backstory, my mum was a heavy, heavy kid and her father was a huge fat phobe. And I think she just didn't want me to have to go through the same things that she did. It was totally from a place of love. But, you know, how that came out were things like she would have like an impromptu photo shoot. I would be walking down the hallway in a skirt and she'd be like, stay there, go get a camera and take a photo of the back of my legs. Be like, you need to see how you look in this so that you never wear something like that again. Like it's horrific in today's day and age, but I can see a little bit where she came from because she just knew that photos are the the most impactful thing. And I was eating without caring because I didn't like boys. I didn't have anything that was in the way of that. So she just was trying to, like, get in between it. Devastating. Another thing she would do, like, what do you call it here, that annual show? It's like the CNE. The X. We call it the X. So, like, we have that in Australia too. It's like, you know, the Easter show or, like, the annual agricultural show. And they had, like, these show bags full of candy. And, like, you would go to the show and buy, like, tons of these bags. And it was like Halloween. It was an excuse to eat heaps of candy for, like, weeks afterwards or, in my case, days. And, um... Yeah, my mum knew that I wanted to go to this show with my friends and my mum had like said, you know, you have to weigh yourself and I'm going to keep an eye on your weight and if you hit this goal weight, you can go to the show with your friends because she knew that it was going to be in like pounds and pounds of weight on my body afterwards because I wasn't going to go, you know, light, if you know what I mean. 100%, no parental supervision. Like, wow, if you were a capital your mum was like the director of the CIA. That is. Oh, yeah, wow. she was onto it. She even, like your mom, like found out about a motivational psychologist who I'll say 
was no help to me. Unfortunately, I didn't lose any weight there, mm-hmm. but she did um, set that up. So like she really did want to help me. And then something else she did was she hid food. Like food was hidden all over our house and I was like the Sherlock Holmes of snacks. A thousand percent, you're finding that shit. Some of the places were so crazy and it was became a game. I was like, this is kind of half the fun. Paint, paint a picture for myself and the listeners. Like what are the craziest hiding places that your mom would hide food? Okay, so like in a fireplace that wasn't being used, but like halfway up the chimney chute. Bitch, you had me at you had me at <laughs> fireplace. What the f- what in the actual up the chimney yeah. chute? Crazy, eh? You're like, well, I guess you just turned into a fucking chimney sweep, honey. Yeah, me. Yeah, I'm fighting this battle with my mom. You know, trying to like get what I think is the best thing for me. My mum's trying desperately to stop me from destroying my body, which, you know, is one of the real serious consequences. And, um, yeah, and she was desperate and I, I, there was no way she was getting through to me, you know. Um, so the next thing you need to know about me was I was a late bloomer. Isn't that the coolest word that your mum can use to describe you to her friends while you're still in earshot? <laughs> you know what? My mum still calls me a late bloomer. I'm like, I'm, I've bloomed. Oh my god, dying. And what you know? What's what's what I dislike about that? Just like a quick tangent. If you think about the idea of a late bloomer, it's actually a beautiful analogy. Like it's really beautiful. Like this took its this took its time to like be in the bud and then bloom that much better because it waited. But it's actually used to make you feel pathetic. <laughs> it was just the worst. My sister was like 14, 15. She had like basically boyfriends from then to like she was married, you know, like she was just different and I was this close to joining a bridge club you know what I mean like (laughs) which is legitimately cooler until about 16 17 and then I started to like sneak out of my bedroom window at night and like even then I was the fat friend I was a late bloomer and that really allowed my weight to just grow and grow and grow because you know I just didn't have the maturity to understand the long-term effect of it and to me I was like what do you mean this is the like magic coat that I've found, this thing that allows me to like not feel so sensitive to everything and to feel in control of my feelings. And um, so I just kept going like that. And it wasn't until kind of my early 20s that I really lost a considerable amount of weight. I found a program, uh, an eating disorder recovery program. I started to eat differently. I started to do some of the things that were suggested there. And yeah, I lost a ton of weight. And I had that transformation that you were talking about. Suddenly, like boys were looking at me differently and it was like a mixture of, I would say, excitement and terror. So relatable. So relatable. Like just it's you're like, oh, you were previously the threat and now you are approaching me in a non-threatening way. But I remember when you were the threat. Yes, totally. So for me, I never returned back to that weight that I was, that real heavy weight, which was close to 300 pounds. I never returned there again. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have ups and downs. Like I, I I still do. I have a, you know, my weight fluctuates, but I, I definitely changed a lot. And for the longest time, I like I shared earlier, I wanted nothing more than to hide this part of my past. But, you know, somewhere along the way that just changed and it became more and more important to me to be integrated with that part of my past and to really own it and Mm -hmm. to stop being ashamed of it, you know. And I know that we talked about cultural shifts. That has definitely enabled some of that for me. Oh, yeah. Like, and let both of us will just say as as elders 
to all the the younger women listening <laughs> you have it easier in terms mm-hmm. of sam like it would it would be almost dangerous to like claim your fat self when you were in high school yeah ala what's her name cat from euphoria there's nothing more powerful than a fat girl who doesn't give a fuck you couldn't say that kind of stuff back when we were coming up and the idea that you could be sexy and beautiful, like what I absorbed was that like I was to be invisible, yeah, to just go under the radar. And my my hope wasn't like I hope the guy's going to look at me. My hope was like I hope no one screams something at me. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask who was your earliest fat icon who you're like, oh, like she's fat and she's cool, like from from culture. I can barely think of someone, to be honest. I feel like in Wilson Phillips, Carney Wilson, she was bigger. She was probably, honestly, one of the first people that, like, it wasn't about that. Mm -hmm. It was about, hold on for one more day. We're here all night, everyone. Actually, we're not. We're not here all night. Um, Mine was actually legitimately Meriwether from the Sleeping Beauty cartoon. I was like, that fat fairy knows what's up. Like, I just remember she knew what was up. She's like, y'all are dumb. I'm going to be the one that actually saves Aurora. I'm going to be one that makes the dress the cool shade, not that hideous pink. As a little girl, I watched that movie so many times. There was just something that lodged in my brain of like, the fat fairy is the best one. It was small, but it was like, that's cool. Isn't it so interesting how these things just get into your mind and how much of a, as you say, tundra that we were living in at the time oh yeah it was tundra even just five years ago hell even three years ago i would not have been ready to have these conversations with you nat agreed but there is something that comes with with time and a little bit of recovery i won't say i have tons of it but a little bit of of um recovery along the way that allows you to share about things that have been really difficult and now it's just really important for us to acknowledge that there were good things that came out of this too you know formed us into the women that we are today And we don't speak for one type of way to recover from disordered eating. However you are getting through this, whatever you're going through is right for you. We just hope that this is going to become a space where you can let your top button out, where you can laugh at some of the shit that we go through and we've been through and where we can connect over this shared experience that shows up differently for everyone, right? 100%. You know, just come and chew the fat with us. And our podcast cat, Mingus, who has been sitting next to me the whole time. Yes! So that has been episode one of Full Fat. It's been a blast. I've loved hearing your story. I always love hearing your story. We will need to release episodes of that cooking show. (laughs) That needs to happen. You can follow us on Instagram at thisisfullfat. Uh, you can email us, thisisfullfat at gmail.com. You can use that email address to send us questions for advice that we will give you for a segment in future episodes called Dear Fatties. Uh, we are brilliant. Please do send us your um, life situations, questions, queries. We'd be happy to answer them. Our next episode drops December 3rd. We're releasing two episodes right now just to kind of kick things off. And I think that's it. Till next time. Stay greasy, ladies. Stay greasy, ladies.